All right, thanks for checking out the FizzCast today. Tim Leonard, Jonathan Hoppy, recording on Wednesday night after National Signing Day Part 2 just wrapped up and a pretty solid day for Syracuse. They got the quarterbacks. Two quarterbacks commit to the Orange exactly what they needed to really round out this 2020 class. Odds are one of them will be good, and Dino seemed to speak pretty highly of both of them. Overall, though, you said it, Tim. A nice ending. Still not the greatest class, doesn't really pop off the page, but they recovered nicely, especially considering they were down a coordinator for much of the final right. two weeks. Really down two coordinators at times, it almost seemed like. So they had four more commits today. We will break them down up to 22 total in the class, and we'll just take stock of this class. What can we make of it at this point? And also talk about that new defensive coordinator for Syracuse. This is the FizzCast. Let's go. Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. National Signing Day Part 2 in the books. Tim Winter with Jonathan Hoppy, and we're going to chat about what Syracuse did today, four new commits. They do get a bonus addition in Jaheed Carter, the defensive back. All in all, you get two defensive backs, one guy that you expected was coming in Chase Atkinson, and two more quarterbacks. Also got a preferred walk-on quarterback. So last time we talked on a national signing day, the big topic was zero quarterbacks for Syracuse. Now they technically have three and two pretty good ones here. Dylan Markowitz seemed to be that high-prized recruit not exactly a Tommy DeVito when it comes down to the numbers. Still only a three-star quarterback. But the guy is six foot four. Now he's listed at six foot four and a half. I think that's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> but we're going to give our guy Dylan Gotten some credit. Too. Yeah. He talked to us. He's a great dude from what we can tell. Make sure to check out that interview with our J.D. Rachi uploaded on SoundCloud. Some really good stuff, about 10 minutes long from Dylan Markowitz. So some exclusive content there. But it's still a good sign to get a top 70 quarterback and a guy that comes in with what Dino says is a lot of potential. And that's what they needed. That's what the national people were saying, the local people. SU needs a quarterback in this cycle. Now they've got two of them, and Markowitz is that guy that headlines the class. Yeah, I think we have to start with Markowitz. And I was very impressed listening to that interview today that J.D. did. He seemed very polished in that interview. Always a good sign when you see that from a quarterback. But, you know, I've gone on record and said I think he's kind of a steal, given that he is coming from that hotbed in the Dallas area, the Texas area where high school football is everything. I mean, you think of Friday Night Lights and that atmosphere. That is Texas high school football. This is a guy who has only started for one season but put up really big numbers. And like you said, the ratings aren't great. He's an 83 on 24-7 sports. Didn't have a Power 5 offer, but he, as he said, he started to get some interest late. He did get a Boise State offer, and if you're not going to get a Power 5 offer, Boise State's kind of the next best thing. Sure, and like you mentioned, Texas is an area with a lot of good players. Much like we've seen Babers do in the state of Florida, he finds a guy like Markowitz. And let's face it, Dino Babers, you can say a lot about him as a coach. You can say a lot of things are positive, some things are negative. But one thing we do know, he is a great offensive mind and if he thinks Markowitz could come in in his system and fill a hole that Tommy DeVito will leave in a couple of seasons I'm cool with it right I mean that's kind of the MO of Dino Babers he can get wide receivers he can get quarterbacks so now he's got Markowitz let's see what this guy has there's no reason to think that he'll be a flop he could be 
But if Babers likes him, I'm going to trust Dino at this point. And watching his highlight tape, you can see the potential. As you said, six four and a half is a little ridiculous, but that size is huge. He's got some mobility to him. He seems to have a big arm, and he played in an offensive style, an air raid style of offense that is somewhat similar to Syracuse's offense, as similar as I think you can get at the high school level. So he had a lot of success at Texas. Big reason why they got him, as he told us, is Sterling Gilbert and the connection there, which is good to see your new offensive coordinator paying some dividends early. Especially considering this staff was shorthanded, like we mentioned. So these guys were really out there recruiting at a high level. And Dino Babers actually said that today at his press conference. He's impressed by how his staff handled it, essentially down two coaches. And the last part of the cycle where you really have to get a grip on these players and make sure they're committed to the Orange The staff did a good job, so that's pretty much all you can ask for. They ended on an uphill climb. They ended on a good note, whereas two weeks ago, we weren't sure. We weren't sure what was going to happen when Zach Garnett left. So now to get a new coordinator, to get a staff that seems to be, or a recruiting class, I should say, that seems to be filled out pretty nicely, it's a good sign. Jaheed Carter was the big addition today at defensive back for Syracuse, and along with Chase Atkinson, who officially signed today. Atkinson was a guy who committed in the summer but hadn't taken his official visit yet, so wait until the second signing period. But you had two more defensive backs, and now you have five defensive backs in this class. And Carter's a kid who began with very high ratings and originally committed to Virginia Tech, decommitted, decided to do a prep year, and now he's coming back in as a 2020 recruit. Had some good offers originally. His rating's a little bit down now, but he's an athletic guy at the defensive back position who probably is kind of a steal at this stage considering how high of ratings he had initially. That was a good get, right? That's what we were talking about leading up to this. Could they get Carter to come to Syracuse? And the answer is yes. And Dino Babers had a funny tweet today. He says, jokes on you if you thought you had a chance at this (laughs) big-time DB from Richmond juiced up with that great graphics package they have for all these recruits. SU might not have won a lot of games last year, but they're (laughs) certainly winning with the athletic department and these graphics that they're putting out for the recruits. More importantly, though, it appears this guy can play, and we know the coaches are high on him. Like you said, there's no reason to believe, or there is reason to believe, that he'll come in and outplay that three-star ranking, which really, Tim, as we always talk about, that's all you want to see. Because at this point, it's mainly three stars for Syracuse, and it's going to take some time to lure in those four stars on a regular basis. So can these guys come in and play like four stars when really they're threes? Yeah, well, all three stars basically in this class. 21 of the 22 are three stars, and then you have one two-star and one of the German guys, Maximilian Mang. So it's all three stars. You probably maybe would have expected after that 10-win season to see some four stars. And I know we've talked about this, how the debate of ratings or valuing what the coaching staff has and sees in these kids, and that's always an endless debate. But when you look at just the numbers we have in front of us, this class did dip a little bit. They're 59th on 24-7 sports nationally. They were 56 last year. So it's a slight dip when maybe you anticipated a slight incline going into this year. But does that really matter too much to you, those ratings? It could be worse. Virginia Tech and Boston College are in the bottom five in the country in recruiting. 
in the That's ACC. That's weird for VT. That's terrible. That is not a good statistic for those teams. And Boston College maybe makes sense with the coaching change, Adazio out. But at the same time, these are ACC schools, and Virginia Tech is usually a great school in terms of the recruits they get. They have had a lot of success, but with some uncertainty in recent seasons, that has gone down. So they're certainly in the bottom tier of the ACC, but it could be worse, Tim. It could be even lower, and that's something that SU fans have to keep in mind. If they know they're not in the middle or top tier yet, at least be at the top of the bottom tier and then see what you can do and try to get these guys that can come in and outkick their coverage. Yeah. At the same time, too, Dino's making moves, and I know we're going to talk about Tony White coming up a little bit later in this podcast. He goes out and gets a proven defensive coordinator. Sure, it's the Pac-12, but But he's a proven defensive coordinator at a Power 5 program. He Think about that. He bounced back from the Zach Arnett loss. He bounced back with a legitimate guy. They pried him away. So props to the athletic department. Props to Dino Babers. Clearly they gave this guy whatever contract, whatever resources he needed to come to Syracuse. And they got a pretty solid class to close out the uh, 2020 cycle. And I think it's big that you add two more defensive backs here because if that is the plan to go to this 3-3-5 scheme, and it's funny that they bounced back and, and went to this scheme because the more I read up on the three three five when I found out Zach Garnett was supposed to be coming here, the more I sort of bought into this is what's best for Syracuse, and I liked it. And that's why it was good to see, okay, yes, they might lose Arnett, who's a little bit younger, maybe a little bit more splashy of a hire. But to your point, I mean, this is a bigger program than San Diego State to get an Arizona State defensive coordinator and bring in the three three five scheme in anyways. That's tough to say, too. Is he a splashier hire? I guess, because now he coaches for Mississippi State. (laughs) So at this point, yes. But if they brought in Tony White, a defensive coordinator from Arizona State, as opposed to Zach Arnett, who was working under Rocky Long, maybe you see them as more of equals. Now that he's at Mississippi State, sure, he's someone that people want a little bit more. I think it's a good hire, and I think it's funny. Remember two years ago when the big news at ACC kickoff was that they're switching to a nickel defense? Oh, yeah. That feels like forever ago. (laughs) Right, and I know this isn't your traditional traditional nickel, but that's a more defensive back concentrated defense, and then they kind of came out of it. It seemed like they were – Non-committal. Yeah. And last year they played a little bit too with Antoine Cordy out there and, and Trill Williams, feeling like that was a more sturdy position as opposed to the linebackers. So clearly Dino wants to get to this system that doesn't have as much Tampa 2 still in it, right? It goes to, all right, our, our, our secondary players, that's the heart of our defense. So he clearly has a plan that he thinks is going to work. Yeah. So when you look at where this recruiting class stacks up in the ACC, 10th in the ACC, as we mentioned, you move up a little bit from kind of where you were during the first National Signing Day, which was 12th in the ACC. But it's kind of interesting because some of these teams around there are getting four-star recruits, but I guess Syracuse's average three-star recruit is just slightly better. The only teams in the ACC that didn't reel in a four-star recruit 
were Syracuse, Duke, Wake Forest, and Louisville. And Louisville's actually got the seventh best class despite getting a four-star. But you look at a team like Georgia Tech, fifth in the ACC, did not really have much in terms of record to go off of in terms of that backing, but they really in five four-stars. So where or when do we have to see Syracuse make a leap? Because as we've talked about, this is more of the same. And I think I feel better about this class now that they've gotten some quarterbacks particularly Markowitz, who I really like. And, you know, I, I went in with somewhat realistic expectations. They've addressed some needs. 22 commits is pretty solid. But when do we have to see them take that leap? Because it does feel like that has to come in the next couple of years for me. I don't know if that leap is a given. I'm not sure if that's somewhere they can get. I but talk- you've got to make a leap in recruiting to make a leap on the field. You do, but you also have to continue to maximize the players you're getting. So think about the ACC. The teams that are at the top traditionally are your power programs in the conference, your biggest brands, and teams that have an area or in an area of the country that you can really sell recruiting, like an NC State. They're the capital of North Carolina, Raleigh, a good football state, For many years, they've been the best program in the state. It appears to be changing now with Mac Brown turning around North Carolina. Exactly, and it's easy to see why they could get recruits. But I talked to Keith Bullock last week, former SU defensive stud, played all over the field. He likes where this program is headed, and I asked, what do they need to do to get to that next level? And he said, recruiting, obviously. But he mentioned it's hard to sell Syracuse. And it really is. So until you can put a winning product on the field consistently, the recruits aren't just going to flock here. They're not. And they have to continue to hit on these three stars like Andre Sisco that turn into four and even five-star recruits. That's what they have to do. I don't think fans can get greedy and expect this team to be in the upper tier of the ACC in recruiting anytime soon. Now, I know this depends on what they do next year on the field in terms of their record, but let's just play the hypothetical game. If they're 10th in the ACC next year, to me, that's a little disappointing. Would you be dissatisfied or would you, well, you be can't, fine with Well, you don't want to drop, right? You don't want to go any lower. And they've been steadily in that 9, 10, 11 spot now for the past five or six years. So you don't want to go any lower than that. To me, it's concerning that Virginia Tech is down where they are, and that's a whole nother, yeah. That's a conversation Shocking, for really. another podcast down south. But I don't know if you can just sit here and say that there's a target number for recruiting classes and rankings. Is it really that important? And it's how you develop your players, how you put them in a position to succeed. Right? Think about last year's roster. Well, it would have been much better if they had a solidified offensive line. And then your recruits that maybe weren't that touted coming into Syracuse look better because the O-line is protecting your quarterback who is supposed to have as much potential as anybody in the conference just about. (laughs) So those things have to come into play. To me, that's more important. Do you have an O-line? Do you have all these spots covered as opposed to – I think we've seen that Dino Babers can work with talent on the outside and make something happen. And his scheme is conducive to that. And now he's trying to make his defensive scheme work the same way. Right. I think if we had had this conversation last year 
and you had said after the 10-win season, let's just play the hypothetical that they're still 10th in the ACC the following year, some people will be upset, but that's also not factoring in that they would go 5-7 and seven right. this year. Be realistic. It. We thought it would be better. It's not. We thought we'd see at least one four-star. And I think next year... That's and I'm not a. But can we who, sit here and obsess over the four star? And I, I've I'm done it before. I, I've done it on on this podcast. I've done it in other places. Let's look at the potential of these three stars, knowing that a four star is not going to be a given for this program. But they've the, gotten a couple in the first couple years of Dino. So after a ten win season, that. I know you you took a step back, but still, this class is kind of the byproduct of that, you would assume. And also, just the fact that they're we're more in the national spotlight, and they're more of a brand now after beating a team like Clemson in a big time well, it's, game Well, it's like known that. that that season didn't help recruiting at all. But isn't that an issue? The numbers didn't improve. I don't know if that's an issue, but it just didn't help. And that's the reality right now. So you've got to continue doing what you're doing and try to sustain success. That's what people want. Pittsburgh is ahead of Syracuse. Have they had sustained success? No, but they haven't really had terrible seasons recently. I mean, they yeah. it seems like they're in a bowl game pretty regularly. And at the end of the day, it's Pittsburgh. It's a real city. Why do you think Georgia Tech has quickly risen back to the top in these rankings because Jeff Collins is selling Atlanta, which is a hub in the southeast. Atlanta right. is a very Big popular football state. City. Yeah. Football all around. People want to be in Atlanta. And there's playing that time. That matters. There. And you could make the case that this Syracuse roster, it's very young. There's a lot of players returning at skill positions at some of those flashy positions where you might get a four-star guy or one of those guys that pops off the page and they're not going to come here just yet because a they haven't seen the consistency and b there's not as much playing time when it's a young roster you could sit here all day and try to figure (laughs) that out because i could argue and say well i'm a wide receiver i want to play for dino babers doesn't that have to factor in at some point it's just recruiting is so finicky and we have to see how the staff develops these players. In recent years, they've done a good job of it. Yeah, they have. Last year, you've got to throw out the window because the O-line was atrocious. Could they recruit the O-line better? I think so. Yeah. Well, but Kadir Dino White, talks about how hard it is. <laughs> right. He says it's hard nowadays to, to figure out which O-line, which players are going to translate. So overall, I think this was a solid ending to a pretty mediocre class. But that's okay at this point, and it has the potential to get even better. Think about the class two years ago with Andre Sisco and those guys. It really didn't look that great. It didn't look great. But now you've got guys like Trill Williams. You've got all sorts of players that you feel good about, and they look like four stars. I know Trill technically was a four star, but that is something to be proud of, and now we have to see how that continues. If they keep doing that, then they'll work their way eventually out of this bottom tier in the league. So we tweeted out a poll on at Orange Fizz on Twitter, and I gave four options basically for where people are at in terms of their satisfaction with this recruiting class. We'll just run through it real quick. Option A, disappointing, got 18% of the vote so far. 
Option two was just more of the same in this year's recruiting class, and that got 54% of the vote, so that's leading the way, just more of the same. Better than ratings say 23% of the vote, and 5% of voters said they really liked this class. So Sounds about, about what right. you'd expect. I mean, it was 10th in the ACC last year. It's 10th in the ACC this year. You drop three spots in the national ranking to 59th, but I will say one thing that makes Tony White's hiring very exciting is his background in recruiting. He's gotten a lot of accolades as being a very good recruiter out West, so you maybe get some new territory as well by bringing him in, but if you can bring in someone on the defensive side of the ball that's a good recruiter, let's face it, that's kind of the area where Syracuse has lacked a little bit of talent. And Dino already kind of has the offensive side covered for the most part because people are drawn to him because he's an offensive mind. So that's a big ad, I think. A good sign, too, that Dino can go out and poach a coordinator from another program. That's a great sign. People want to come coach with Dino. They want to be a part of what he's doing here in Syracuse. I think he handled this defensive coordinator situation. Can't say enough about yeah, it. Yeah, I think agree. he has crushed the offseason in terms of staff. I really do believe that. And he has not settled for what he has. He hasn't settled with Steve Stannard. Not that he's a bad coach, but he's noticed, all right, this did not work last year. This guy was on the staff. It still didn't work. Didn't love what I saw in the last few games of the year. Let's make a change. Let's make a splash. And then props to John Wildhack for working with Babers to get these coaches because you know it probably costs them more money to go out and get a Tony White as opposed to promoting a standard from within. So Syracuse wraps up their class 22 commits as of National Signing Day Part 2. Thanks for listening to this edition of the FizzCast. We'll be back with Fizz Radio this week. It'll be me, myself, Tim Leonard, and Harrison Singer. But that'll do it for this edition. For Jonathan Hoppy. I'm Tim Leonard. We'll talk to you soon.